Hi there, and welcome to Grief is My Superpower. I'm Mark Lemon, award-winning children's author, bereavement ambassador, and your host for this podcast. Each week, I'll be interviewing incredible people that get open and honest about their own experience with grief. When I was 12 years old, my dad was murdered, and my life changed forever. I try to explore with my guests if it's possible to live a happy and fulfilled life after the death of a loved one. You can find me as The Dad Author on Instagram and at the Lemon Drop Books website. For this episode, I've travelled to Tiverton in Devon to speak with Karen from Our Tiny Diaries. Karen is wife to Chris and mother to her three children, Jonah, Winter and Fox. Karen speaks to me about the death of her brother and how it shaped her outlook on life. You can find Karen on Instagram as Our Tiny Diaries. Please don't forget to subscribe and leave a comment wherever you are listening to this podcast. By doing this, it will help us to reach more people in need of support at a tough time. This podcast is in support of Children's Bereavement Charity, Winston's Wish. Okay, so today I'm meeting with the very lovely Karen from Our Tiny Diaries. So, hello. Hello. How are you? Yeah, I'm good, thank you, despite the rain. Yeah, it's a bit drizzly out there today. It's miserable. Where's summer gone? I'm not sure, but I hope it comes back very soon. Um, so, yeah, as I've mentioned, I've travelled to a different location today, as is uh, each episode. And firstly, I was just wondering if you could just tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and what you do, please. Yeah, well, I'm Karen and I'm married to Chris. I am a blogger slash influencer uh our tiny diaries is us on instagram and then my husband chris has our tiny dad diaries so he shows like the less edited maybe more candid approach to fatherhood <laughs> you know i love the the way that you portray your family life and the way it comes across is is lovely so uh, well honesty is the best policy <laughs> i think <laughs> i think you're right um okay and then leading on from that are you happy to share with our listeners about your own experience with grief, please? Yes, absolutely. So um, four months ago, um, my brother Craig um, took his own life um, and he was 30. And it still seems, it's still not, four months doesn't seem long, but it feels like it's been a long time since yeah. he hasn't been here. Yeah, four months isn't long at all, is no. it? No. Um, and you know, with each episode, it's a different, um, circumstance of grief and, you know, four months, like I said, isn't very long at all. And how do you think you're processing your grief at the moment? Well, I was speaking to some of my friends yesterday about doing the podcast and they said, oh, but your grief is still so raw. You're probably still in shock. But I thought, do you know what? I have processed so many different emotions in those four months like yes I might still be in shock and you know I th there's still more to come but uh, I feel like I've gone through so many different stages of grief already um, with relationships with the different people that are involved that mm. you know have been affected and um, with the boys particularly that sort of thing trying to uh continue life without this significant person in the boy's life and my life 
Yeah, it must be incredibly hard. Um, in terms of how Craig died, um, are you able to share with us a little bit about, you know, what happened? Mm-hmm. Yep. On the 9th of April, which was the day before my birthday, um, my brother uh, had dinner with his friend. He had work the next morning, so they weren't drinking. They watched TV together. They had some pizza. And then they went to bed and uh, Craig's friend stayed over. Um, And Craig has a dog called Adrian. And uh, Luke woke up about four o'clock in the morning with uh, Adrian sort of licking his face, trying to wake him up. Took him back to Craig's room and Craig wasn't there. So they were you know, starting to call him, him and his flatmate, trying to work out where he was, couldn't get hold of him. And then at eight o'clock in the morning, Luke got a phone call from Craig's phone, but it was the police saying, we've found Craig. Um, and he had just left the house without anything, anyone, without Adrian, which I find so difficult saying goodbye to your dog because he loved that dog and mm. and he went to the woods which was um i don't know 100 meters from his house um and he hung himself uh so a dog walker found him it's always a dog walker or a runner and i think maybe i shouldn't run or ever walk dogs yeah <laughs> <laughs> for fear of that yes yeah <laughs> Wow, um, that's quite a story. Um, mm. In terms of, and it's such a difficult thing to say, but in terms of signs or, or, or ways that maybe, was there any way it could have been prevented, do you think? Or were the signs so unclear that, you know, yeah, he, he, he just couldn't do anything? It's tricky to... Um to say and obviously people people have said that to us in um these past four months like you know could you have done anything to stop it and um craig's girlfriend has had people ask her that and she just wants to you know say are you serious like um uh, his girlfriend and him were you know in a really good relationship they were planning on moving in together they were planning their lives together um they just yeah he was going for a he was going for a job interview uh the following week that he was really quite excited about he was a mentor in a charity called day one which mentors sort of um young people who don't have um a lot of choice in life like they're sort of struggling and um a bit like you know like the little brother scheme in america where they take them yeah 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 so he had a mentee um that he was a role model for um and you know like he was he had his dog he had a house he had his, well he he shared a house uh he had a car and you know like for society he was ticking these boxes but that doesn't mean that you're happy, does it? Like, no, that's what you feel like you should be achieving. But he still didn't feel like that was enough. Mm. And I think my biggest regret is that we live so far away from him. So he's in Inverness, which is 600 miles away. It's funny because I still talk about him in the present tense. Yeah, well, that happens a lot, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah, I yeah. still talk about him like he's here. And yeah, I, I just can't bring myself to say he did live in Inverness, but yeah. So he, yeah, so he lit. Uh, he lived so far away, and we only really saw him at Christmas 
um, and when he would come down to stay. Um, and I feel like if I did, if I had known, obviously I would have done anything, anything to, you know, make him feel like he had someone there. But then everyone says that, like my parents, my sister, his girlfriend, his best friend, if if there was, you know, if there were any signs, we would have, you know, shut it down, like being like, what are we doing? How, what can we do? Is it money you need? Is it a different place to stay? You know, he spoke about moving down to Devon. He liked the idea of the country life and, you know, he could have lived here with us. And uh, he came to stay with us uh, just over a year ago when I found out I was pregnant with Fox. And um, what I didn't know at the time was that he'd tried to kill himself the first time and mum and dad didn't want me to worry and I understand that but that's the biggest regret I have is that I didn't know that and I had him sitting there um every evening and you know playing with the boys and I just think like I wish that you'd have said something I wish that you'd have reached out that must have been such a strange feeling knowing that he he he'd already attempted yeah and I didn't find that out until he he died Right. So, I mean, I knew that he had, I wouldn't say it was depression. Subsequently, sort of latterly, we've um, done a little bit of research and we found out that what seems to fit his mental health situation was something called high, high frequency depression or is it high pressure? High functioning depression. Okay. And that is the type of depression where you are a giver you are busy doing things all the time you seem happy you know you may never even have a down day you are always um sort of serving others doing things for others making them happy a people pleaser but then at night time you're sort of haunted with you know struggling and um it can take you to dark places but then the next day you can wake up and no one can have any idea and i read a thing on facebook about spotting the signs and the fact is it's so good people are so good at hiding that that it's almost sometimes it's not di- it's not diagnosed as depression because you seem fine yeah but i think for craig he he since he was about 15 he's never been able to sleep well and i think he's always struggled with i don't really like the phrase struggling with demons but it's that sort of thing he obviously had a battle internally that he never expressed Mm. he kept in and i think that that was probably the the motive behind it the pressure that he must have felt you know locking that in and not sharing it with anybody Mm -hmm. and that goes for anybody suffering with their mental health must be so hard you know well to get to the point anyway of you know wanting to to die by suicide is, is it must be so tough the thing yeah the thing that i really um struggled with was that they did a toxicology report um and he had no drugs or alcohol in his system so the idea that he had thought about this methodically he was of sound mind right i'm going to do this i'm going into the woods and i'm not coming back out and i think what sort of a mind state are you in to be that calm, cold, practical, you know? 
Yeah. You hear about so many cases, don't you, where, you know, the family just have no idea that mm. that they are about to, you know, to, yeah. to die. And it kind of leads on to my next question in terms of, you know, there's been a, a, a big spotlight on men's mental health over the last two years. Is there anything do you think we can do to try and help men in silence, you know, suffering in silence? Well, I actually did an interview for the local newspaper in Inverness a couple of months ago because in the Highlands, it's the number one cause of death for males aged, I think it's 24 to 30. And 30 is like the real hitter. It seems to be that that is a milestone in a man's life where, you know, it it can really affect you. And, you know, I think the pressure we feel in culture in in our society particularly men um reflecting on where they think they should be in their lives at age 30 and if they're not meeting that target it makes them feel inadequate Uh, and there's the pride thing you know and i mean like he he was he was very proud and i think that the scottish element like the Highlands, men are very proud and closed off. Like, I I can manage everything myself. I don't need any help. But there is a charity in Inverness called Mikey's Line, which was set up in response to someone who um, committed suicide and they didn't feel like they had enough support. So the, um, uh, the interview that I gave for the newspaper was actually about Craig's experience with the NHS and the fact that he was going through these um, feelings, um, suicidal thoughts, and he was referred to the mental health unit uh, where he would be given counselling and things. Uh, he tried CBT, which is a very common thing. I've tried CBT for anxiety, and it's very much like six weeks, tick boxes, out you go, you're fine. But this was a more in-depth thing. And they sent him a letter and told him that he would have to wait uh 18 months 18 months for a for a suicide crisis appointment essentially 18 months yeah 18 months so it he looked at the letter i imagine and just thought you know what well that's not even an option like i can't even consider that as oh well i'll just wait 18 months and hope that it goes away because i've had experience with mental health where I've never struggled with depression, but at Christmas I had like a, like a, I would say it was like an emotional breakdown, like a nervous breakdown. And although I have never considered suicide and it terrifies me, I could see my brain, I could see how people's brains can take you there because you detach from reality and it you're not really sure where you are and you become disorientated and that terrified me because I actually thought what if my mind takes me to that place I don't want to kill myself mm-hmm. you know but it can you know it I could just see how it would happen yeah. and I think with um it's been described as an epidemic hasn't it suicide in men particularly of that age um and we have spoken about it a lot my husband and I and I think what needs to happen is we need to start getting children to talk about their feelings more we need to get rid of this boys don't cry mentality and we need to get them to express their feelings because like for me um you know I only um so yes I was uh, yesterday I was talking about mindfulness and 
how you need to be more gentle to yourself and self-care and this is all part of the mental health thing but people only think oh I should probably start looking after myself more when you've reached that point you know if you've reached the point of suicide or you don't you can't escape that shouldn't be the point where you're getting help like come on give me help now you should it should be like a I don't know like a like you should be retraining your brain or your behavior being able to I don't I don't really know I guess you you need to be able to well the attitude in society needs to be changed I think and you need to feel like you don't need to close everything up and I think with social media that is helping yeah I think social media is is helping a lot I think you know in some ways it's bad but in a lot of cases it's great because there is it's opening up a conversation you know and we talked about um you know podcasts like man talk you know Mm. by friends of ours and uh and things like that which which are great for for opening up the conversation and, and sort of just saying to men that it's okay to to open up about your feelings to um not just your family but to your mates you know yeah and it needs to become like a normalized conversation you know if you're down the pub and you're like how are you doing you know you're not just talking about the football you're talking about yeah. how you're feeling actually. exactly because I I actually think um with Craig and this 18 month wait I think it said in the letter uh please get back to us within this long um and if you don't, we will assume you no longer need the appointment. And he was at a point where he felt like he didn't want to talk to anyone. He wasn't opening mail. You know, he wasn't in the position. He was stressed and, you know, avoiding everything. The last thing he's going to do is call and arrange an appointment. And so they cancelled the appointment. So he never even, you know, they just cancelled it. We assume you're fine now. You know, I'm sure you, you know, thought about killing yourself, but I'm sure it's you're over it. You know, it's just... It's crazy. And I think that that's what we, you know, um, I, sorry, like the Samaritans and all these charities that offer their services, they all come from a good place. But I do think that if you're in that situation, the last thing you want to do is text a number, call someone. You need your friends and your family as your first point of call. Mm. And I know that not everyone has that. But for a lot of people, you need to be able to say, you know, I feel really shitty and I really need you to, to surround me and, you know, keep me safe. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I think uh, there's lots of work needing to be done, but there's lots of work that's already started to happen, which is totally. great. Um, okay, it kind of leads me on to, you know, it's only been four months, but do you think your outlook on life has changed at all over the last four months? Uh, absolutely. And that's probably one of the most, um, nothing, I mean, nothing positive comes out of these things in a way, but the silver lining is that I found that myself and family members and friends have looked at this situation and reassessed their priorities so for me I have retired from teaching after teaching for 12 years Uh, I was supposed to go back after maternity leave but I just I felt like I should and then I looked at the boys and I was like I really don't want to leave them they're growing up so quickly and I've got another option where I can become freelance or work for myself so I'm going to do it 
And I just did it. And I just called one day and I was surprised that they weren't, you know, devastated. <laughs> they were like, all right, good luck. See you later. Bye. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But yeah, so I, I retired or I resigned and my mum has retired from work, which means that she can spend more time at home with my dad. And she's been toying with the idea, but, you know, the classic phrase, life is too short. You know, if you have got the opportunity, then do it. And so she's I mean, done it. it- it rings true doesn't it I mean yeah. it, it literally does when you've gone through something like that you you mm. just see a perspective on life that like you said you know it was a bit like me when I left my old job to pursue life of writing children's books and yeah. I was like you live once just do it you know totally. and you know and obviously it helps if your wife's behind you but, um, <laughs> but yeah I completely agree with everything you just said um actually links quite nicely in terms of so you worked in a secondary school didn't you yes yeah and Chris obviously worked in primary school yeah and so obviously this chair this uh, podcast is for children's bereavement charity Winston's Wish and we want to try and break the stigma of talking about grief with children Mm -hmm. in schools and young people yeah do you think there's anything that could be done in terms of opening up the conversation more you know maybe in uh, secondary schools potentially I, I don't think it the um I don't think they've cracked it yet I think the efforts have been made to try and get on a level with students but at that age kids are so concerned about how they appear to others and peer pressure and you know being cool and not showing emotion for fear of you know being ridiculed picked on etc um but it's because it's an adult talking to a kid. And although I considered myself a very cool teacher and, you know, with it and young, I'm really not, especially to like a 14 year old who's just like, can you stop talking to me like we're friends? Cause we're not. So one thing that I have thought about is, um, uh, student mentoring is a far more effective way, I think. So, you know, if there is someone else in the school that feels or have ex- has experienced something that you pair these people up and that they have time to talk together because you know I think that that's their age group that's their generation they get each other they may feel patronized or they may feel um not attacked necessarily but they may feel like quite defensive sort of forced into it maybe forced into a, a teacher student conference and also that they're getting in trouble you know i think uh peer mentoring would be a great thing to introduce that sounds like a great idea Mm. yeah um okay so one thing that i a question that i always like to ask is if there were three things that make you smile about your brother can you can you think of them (laughs) um uh yes i yeah he was um (laughs) For his for his funeral, this doesn't sound like something that makes me smile, but it does make me smile because it was just so Craig. So for his funeral, um, we had to like organize all the songs and the order of service, etc. And we were thinking about what songs he would like. He wasn't religious. Um, we had it in a in a church, but um, I think these days everyone's pretty relaxed about the type of funeral that that happens. And um, uh, for the for the for, for the songs that we had during the funeral it was all very scottish run rig like because he loved run rig which are a scottish band um and then they're like 
asking us what we want as a leaving song. So it's kind of like the last song that you have with Craig as a parting memory. And we were sort of thinking, right, well, it needs to be right. It needs to be perfect. It needs to be so Craig. So it needs to be, you know, it's almost like serious or like, you know, a, a classical piece of classical music that's really touching. And I was, we, we sort of like let it all brew and, you know, try and work out what he wanted. And then I remembered this memory I had of him where he used to drive a, a white van because uh, he used to work for my dad as like a garage door fitter. And he loved Paolo Nutini, probably the Scottish connection, but he kept it secret because he's a little bit poppy, Paolo Nutini, and he probably wasn't like the coolest person to like. Um, but when he was in his van, he had a Paolo Nutini CD and it was, um, you know, the song 10 out of 10? Yeah. Yeah, with yeah. all like the the trumpets and yeah, things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's a bit ska, punky sort of. <laughs> Um, and I saw Craig, I actually heard him before I saw him driving past with Palantini blaring out the window and he had like this roly, Craig had this roly in his mouth and he was like, yay, all right, mate. <laughs> like, just like loving his life. Yeah. So we played that song as he was leaving in, in his uh, coffin and everyone was just like, everyone was like ready to say goodbye, like really sad. And then the music played and everyone got it. Like, you know, everyone got that's Craig. He's fun. Uh, you know, he didn't take life too seriously and he always made people smile. And that song totally sums it up. And I still listen to that song. Um, you know, like like Sarah was saying on her podcast, um, you have these grief anthems, yes. but they're not necessarily, you know, things that make you cry. Mm. Like that just makes me full of love for him. Yeah. Because that was just him. No, I love that. I love the fact of him in his van sort of yeah. driving past. <laughs> <laughs> Loving Paolo Nutini. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Brilliant. Okay. For this section, we have four questions from the children at Winston's Wish. Mm -hmm. And the first one is, how do you make yourself feel happy when you're feeling sad? Um, I go running. And I'm not the fittest person in the world. I will make that clear now. I used to hate running because I was doing it for different reasons. I was doing it, oh, I've got to run because I've got to lose weight, blah, blah, blah. I do it now for the endorphins and they really do kick in. And although sometimes I feel like, well, I, when I feel sad, I think, I know if I go for a run, I'll feel happy, but I just can't be bothered. <laughs> and so I have to make my husband physically push me out the door, like go for a run. It's usually the doing, isn't it? Yeah, Actually totally. Out you just do it. Just do it. Like the other night, it was about eight o'clock and I was just having a really rubbish day thinking about Craig a lot. It was his birthday and uh, it was about eight o'clock at night and I said, I'm just going to go to bed. I just don't want to be awake anymore. I just want to, you know, shut everything out. And Chris said, well, how about you go for a run instead of go to sleep? Because if you go to sleep, that's it for the evening. You've left it on a sad note. So I went out running and just for like half an hour, I came back. And I was so much happier and we had a nice evening together. And it, yeah, it's magic. Running is just magic. Any sort of exercise. And like, you know, my mum used to say, you know, that sort of thing. Your parents do like, you know, go out, get some fresh air. Get out yeah. of the house. Yeah, get out of the house. Exactly. <laughs> and I, you know, I'd be like, no. But now I totally recommend fresh air, exercise, 
It's a winning combination. Next one is, what piece of music reminds you of Craig? But I think we literally just talked about that. <laughs> no, well, I mean, that Palinatini does. But Unless like, there's another one. Well, I have like a, a playlist that I made um, of some of the songs that remind me of him. And I, I play it when I'm doing the washing up or when I'm cooking in the kitchen because it just brings Craig into focus. It sounds a bit strange to kind of take time specifically for that but I find that with the boys and just our manic lives I'm sometimes too busy to think about Craig and I need to and I want to think about him and it's okay to be sad it's okay to say I'm just going to focus on Craig and have a little cry or just you know reminisce um and so I have the Paolo Nutini song I have another Paolo Nutini song the new new shoes because Craig loved new shoes and he always strut around in his new shoes. <laughs> and then some run rig songs, the Scottish ones that played at the funeral. But it's like, it's self-medicating. You know what makes you feel a little bit more whole. And I feel like when I listen to those, he's there. So, yeah. I think it's important, just like you said, to take those 10 minutes mm. and just have that moment in your head isn't it yeah. that space and my husband rolls his eyes like you're not listening to run rig again are you because for him it's interesting because those those are too sad for him to listen to like he can't right. bear it yeah because for him all they signify is craig and that's not something he wants to well not he doesn't want to dwell on craig he thinks about craig in different ways so i have to kind of either close the door keep the volume down or when he's out i'll have it on or when i'm in the car but that's the thing, isn't it? Everyone's grief is different. And totally. They all deal with it in yeah. different ways. So, yeah. Okay. I mean, we talked about this briefly, but how do you think your grief has shaped you? Um, it's definitely um, sort of, it's taught me to slow down in a way that I didn't expect it to. Um, it's taught me to appreciate things that are just around me. Be grateful for things. I had a lovely talk with um, Finn from The Positive Planner. They've created this planner. Yeah, yeah, I've heard of it. Yeah, yeah, it's wonderful because it's got, um, every day it's got just three bullet points about what you're grateful for. And we sometimes think we have to be grateful for, you know, like really complex things like the fact that I've got a mortgage or, you know, I got this promotion at work. But just things like, that I can breathe in fresh air, that, you know, my children are healthy. And if you remind yourselves of those, of yourself, of those things every day, it, it is, it, it shapes your life in a far more positive way than instead of just looking for the future, which I feel like I probably did in my 20s. I always looked to the future like, okay, these are my 20s. This isn't quite where I want to be. I want to be here. Always looking to later in life. And you don't know that you're going to have a later in life. You know, you you have to live for today. And I know these are cliches, but, you know, they're cliches for a reason, aren't they? You know, live for the moment, seize the day, those sort of things. You know, even if seizing the day is snuggling with the boys on the sofa watching films, you know, those are making memories that I love. These are things that I love to do. And um, yeah. otherwise, you know, you're never going to enjoy your life because you're always going to be looking ahead. That's it, yeah. Mm. I mean, like you said, sitting there with your children and just, you, mm. you know, actually just breathing in and enjoying the moment. Yeah. That's so special, isn't it? When you yeah. realise that that's, you know, how lucky you are. So <laughs> yeah. I completely understand that. Um, 
Okay, uh, next one is, uh, what do you do to remember Craig on important days across the year? Um, now, obviously, it's only been four months and you've talked about the music, um, yeah. which is a great way to do it. Um, is there anything else that, that you do maybe to, to remember him? Uh, yes, yeah, so um, on his birthday, it was his birthday on the 20th of July, so he would have been uh, 31. And I was like building up to it, like it was going to be horrific. And I was terrified of, of the day, really quite scared that it would really hit me. Um, and what I did was I wrote him a letter um, because I found that writing since he died has become a really good way of me focusing in on the situation um, because we don't necessarily give ourselves time to focus on that sort of thing you know but I mean I realistically I have three boys who are six and under so you know I'm chasing them around trying to keep their pants on most of the time and, <laughs> you know cleaning things up and making snacks especially in the summer but I think writing for me has become a real solace where it just gives me that quiet space and I've been writing a lot and posting on Instagram so um, that's been a great creative process for me. But physically writing him a letter um, was really good. And I think I'm going to continue to do that every year. Just It was just like telling him what we were doing and how much I miss him and, you know, what the boys have said and how, my, how Jonah particularly is dealing with things and funny things that he said. Um, so on Craig's birthday, my mum sent, us pictures of Craig last year on his birthday on, on my phone and Jonah looked at it and he was like well is Craig having a party in heaven like why is he celebrating like I thought he was dead you know because they just say dead like kids have no tact in terms they say of, how it is don't they uh, totally yeah. and it's great because why not you know that is the truth um and that's how he feels mm. But he was very confused. He was like, well, I know that Craig's dead, but he's there celebrating his birthday. Where is he? You know? Um, so I wrote that down and told him that he would have liked that. That sounds lovely. It's a really <laughs> nice thing to do, writing yeah. that letter to him every year. Um, yeah. Okay, one thing that I always like to end on is, if you had one final conversation with Craig, what do you think you might say to him? Um... So the last time that I saw Craig was at Christmas and uh, I was going quite, I was going through quite a difficult time emotionally. I'd had this nervous breakdown on Christmas Eve and he was very worried about me and he, he had struggles with anxiety and things as well. And um, I was kind of laying low quite a lot of Christmas, but on Boxing Day night, we were outside having a whiskey, I think, because we're in Scotland and that's what Scottish people do. It's the done thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and we were we were chatting and he said, you know, I can relate to a lot of um, what you're saying. And to some extent, I'm quite glad that you're going through this because it means that we have this in common and we can support each other and talk about it. And then he sort of paused and say and said, but we can talk about that another time. And we never, we never have. And he, he followed that 
conversation up with a text message um, on New Year's Day saying, sorry, I haven't been around. Um, My New Year's resolution is to be a better brother to you. Um, I really hope you have a great year. And me and Craig's girlfriend were sort of like joking like, well, you didn't mean it because look what you've done. You are not making this a good year for us, Craig. But um, yeah, I would I would love to talk to him and say, I, to express regret that I hadn't pushed that, that conversation because it's not just, it wouldn't have just been about him helping me, but me making it clear that no matter how he was feeling, that I would have tried with every fibre of my being to make it better for him. And uh, I would have hoped that that would have made a difference, but you just don't know. You just don't know, do you? No. You know, at the end of the day, I guess it was his decision. Mm. And, uh, you know, who knows what you could have done. But, um, yeah. yeah. I have to think that he's happier now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, look, Karen, this has been an uh, amazing conversation and I really appreciate you taking the time to share your story with me because it's a very special one and a very personal one. And uh, yeah, I always say that grief is individual. Everyone deals with it in their own way. And um, yeah, so thank you very much. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. 